What ho podcast land and welcome to yet another bonus episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc's past. <laughs> That's right. Oh, oh, podcast land. Hello, it is I, Leon, and I have the privilege of gazing sadly across a screen as opposed to across my table at my uh, dear co-host of the evening, the COVID-ridden Drew Backwem. <laughs> Hello, Drew. I am the Cove host for tonight. Hello, podcast land. <laughs> And How hello, are you Leon. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. It's my second time having it. It's probably a new variant. Two trips on the Metropolitan Line in three years. Two rounds of COVID. That's how it works. Wait, was it the Metropolitan Line the last time as well? Yep. That's yep. redonkulous. Got on at Hillingdon, <laughs> got off at King's Cross with the Coves. Marvellous. I'm very sorry. You have my sympathies. Podcast land. I was going to say, tweet Drew your sympathies, but no, you can't. <laughs> Podcast Land, today we are going to be regaling your earballs with not one, but with two specials. The subject of this evening's recording is the unofficial anniversary specials, one of which we've already sort of touched upon on Who Back When Before, and which we were saying before pressing record, we may only touch upon for about five minutes tonight. Well, it's only about five minutes long anyway. But which is it, is the question I'm trying to ham-fist this into the right grammatical phrasing. Which one is this? I'm glad you asked. This is the one with the grumpy one. The flautist. The doctor. Some megaloofian slime skimmer. And children in need of better role models. It's called Dimensions in Time. Here we we go. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, Michael Ridgway. Love you, Michael. And who could do it better than him? He said a lot of stuff that there is to say about this originally in our review of The Seventh Doctor. I think we talked about it a little bit as well. We did. But I think this is our chance to rectify the third Doctor retrospective being too short, which you have caught hell for. So we could spend the next two (laughs) to eight hours just waxing lyrical about our favourite James Bond's all-action scarecrow. About Pertwee, who is in this for not that long. What? This is so obviously Pertwee's vehicle, you could slap a Who Won number plate on the whole thing. You're right that Bessie is in it, and you're right that he is in it, but he does share the screen and the... Do- oh, fine, yes, he goes to... Wait, who's the guy at... Is it Blue Peter or wherever who's presenting this whole thing? Noel's house name? party. Noel Edmonds. Noel Edmonds. Now, I watched the video, and Jotten Pertwee goes on Noel's house party slash children in need, and they have some really forced music hall level kind of banter, and then they sit down, they put on the 3D specs, hence the dimensions in time, and they mm-hmm. watch it, and he's the one in the studio. John Pertwee is the star name, the banner headliner. That, yeah, <laughs> you are right. I have a theory about this, and that is... I have two theories about this, I've just realized, as I've said it out loud. Okay. Theory number one, Doctor Who is already done. It's Dunsville, and oh. current Doctor is just not going to go on it. Theory number two, Pertwee never says no. <laughs> Yes, and he knows he doesn't have long left, perhaps. I mean, Tom Baker is in it as well. He obviously also did not say no, but Tom Baker, he didn't want to leave the comfort of his own home. He invited someone from the BBC to come over with a green sheet to hang behind him, and that was his contribution, and he's wonderful. Oh, you think it was that? I assumed it was backstage at the theatre where he was acting in his latest play, but I guess if he doesn't get out of bed for less than £3,000, then, yeah, it could just be in his larder. I reckon he's at his kitchen table or in the living room. There's the awkward microphone that's sticking out into frame, exactly like my awkward microphone is sticking into frame right now. It is a strange choice. And it's because there is no production set up around him. It's because he's not in a production environment. Yeah, 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 of course. Ah, but... uh... 
But it yes, okay, you weird. know what I concede? Pertwee does take center stage here, even though he is but one of myriad doctors who participate in this special. There is, there is a reason why he gets a lot of the screen time, though. Mm-hmm. This was originally going to be called The Dark Dimension. Oh, really? Originally, the script was very different, and Pertwee and Colin Baker were both really irked that their appearances amounted to cameos. So they got it rewritten. And I guess Pertwee, yeah, was just slightly more insistent. Right. Okay. Well, I think, well done. Because if ultimately the goal of this special is to (laughs) harvest donations for children in need, then the more star attractions you have, the greater the donations, surely. Yeah, there was that call-in vote to choose between Mandy and Big Ron. And goodness, 24,000 people voted for Mandy. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad really they did that and fixed all <laughs> the problems for children in this country, because there haven't been any since. This is a bonus episode. We're not going to be doing Beast Cows, but can you at least explain who is Mandy? What is oh, the in EastEnders. Well, I assume that she and Big Ron were just two people in the soap opera EastEnders who weren't too big, because some of the major characters didn't appear. I, I don't know. I've never watched EastEnders. Never, ever. Proudly. No, nor I. Is that an intuitive crossover? Yes. Why? Because the two parts of this special got ratings of 13.8 and 13.6 million viewers respectively. This was the most watched Doctor Who behind City of Death in its history. That, that That's heartbreaking. <laughs> It beats all of New Who, bar none, all the specials, all the 50th, the 60th, I'm sure. Yeah, because it was crossed with EastEnders, which was, along with Coronation Street, the biggest soap of the last 40 years. Right. At this point, it's essentially too late, but I wonder if this then opened the eyes of an entirely new slice of viewership to what Doctor Who was. And Possibly. I don't think it was terrible. I, it's easy to be like, oh my goodness, but I think there were enough little notes that showed some efforts. Uh, hmm. I think you're going to have to defend this position. Personally, okay. I think this is a pile of horseshit. Right, right, right. But if you think... Um, do you... Uh, <laughs> okay, let me back up my previous point, which was Go for it. a trivia point. In February 1993, a few months before this was shot, Sophie yeah. Aldred had guest starred in a two-episode arc on EastEnders as Susie. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was the natural crossover, the perfect tie-in. That still does not make this a good episode. Uh-huh. Okay, let me start <laughs> let me start with the music. I think the yeah. Hard Acid House 200 BPM remix of the Doctor Who theme, it might be the best version I've ever heard. I disagree with that. <laughs> it is not bad. It's the kind of theme tune that the second you hear it, you just look down and all of a sudden you realize you're holding onto glow sticks. Like there, it, it's inexpl- <laughs> unexplainable, absolutely inexplicable. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah, there's a lot of oomph to it. Yeah, glow sticks in one hand, E in the other. (laughs) Do you think there's anything to this storyline outside of fan service? Oh, of course not. And it's fan service for Doctor (laughs) Who and EastEnders. I really liked, for instance, that you had like a futuristic hover train going across the bridge in the background in one scene. And you had lots of makeup on regular characters to look like 20 or 40 years older than they were at the time. I thought some oh, of that when they're was... in the future of 2013, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I thought some of that was pretty convincing. I agree. I've never seen EastEnders, so I have no connection to these characters, and frankly, I could only guess that they were recognisable faces made to look like they were from the future or whatever else. Yeah. But... Well, you got to see some of them sans makeup later on. You're like, oh, oh, she isn't elderly. She's just a regular character. Oh, that's pretty good. But, but the Doctor Who portion of this, which is the slice of this episode that I was focusing on. Yeah, where they open up the prop department and the villain store and just stack the upper floor of the pub with whatever's at the front. Exactly. That, I don't want to be pushing my glasses up the brim of my nose here, but it didn't make any sense. You don't think (laughs) it makes... I think you'll find that (laughs) quite a few of those aliens are not baddies, for starters. Like, some of those were just, like, good guys, but they're still there growling. 
<laughs> I didn't know that. One of them is the dog that's kept as a pet by the rich lady in Dragonfire. It's like the white furry hand puppet dog in the foreground in one pan across the pub. That's just chilling out on a market stall while some other people are doing yeah, deals growling right as next though to it. it's the monster of the week. It's someone's chihuahua. <laughs> I know that's silly. I, I know I know it's a stupid observation. But there's that. There's the fact that the actual sci-fi plot of it is is in no way substantiated. Oh, no. There's, there's nothing to it. What, what is the Rani? The Rani is in this. What is the Rani trying to do? She's trying to open a time tunnel across the Greenwich Meridian yeah. by way of cloning alien species from the past Doctor Who seasons. Yeah, she's got one of every single species in the entire cosmos, apparently, except for humans, which she's left till the end. And with that, she's A, going to put the Doctors in a time tunnel, and B, entirely separately, gain control of the powers of evolution. But none of that means anything. No, no, and it doesn't have to. This this was <laughs> written by the producer of the Seventh Doctor era, John Nathan Turner. And seventh and, I think, prior as well. Maybe. And clearly, he just went all out for fan service to spark as many happy memories of 80s and previous Doctor Who as he possibly could to create a groundswell, a clamour for Doctor Who to return because look at its rich history and just look how much fun we had along the way and how many silly latex dog villains or chihuahuas we could come up with and wasn't it all great and don't you miss it don't you miss all of these separate doctors and think how many more there could be in the future if you would just recommission us please of course you are completely right about that (laughs) (laughs) i can't disagree with any of it and it's a charity special obviously it needs to be taken with with a fistful of salt yeah, it's I, just, I think it's shit. <laughs> oh, I agree. The end is complete bollocks. Where there's this handy machinery lined up for McCoy to just skip past and twiddle this and flick that, and that's what was required to completely reverse things and trap the Rani in her own time tunnel. Goodness, no. Of course, it doesn't stand up to any scrutiny. I, I think what. Okay, let me make a a little comparison. Do you remember the episode? I can't remember what it's called now, but do you remember the episode where Tennant and Davison meet in the TARDIS? Time Crash, of course. Bingo. Also a Children in in Need special, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well thought out, silly, goofy, yada, 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 but it has substance. Yes. That was Stephen Moffat's second go at a Children in Need special after the curse of the fatal death. Oh, right. Okay. Wait, which I. I think so, and yes, it is, actually. I can tell you without even needing to look it up on Wikipedia that the humour and the construction of it... No, I'm absolutely certain that it was screenplay Stephen Moffat. Yep. (laughs) 100%. His fingerprints all over it. And that was okay. But that was the warm-up, and then he gets to do it better again. Now, of course, this doesn't match up to that, but that is when... The Children in Need stuff was just bonus content. That didn't have to achieve anything except just a a light bit of reminiscence. Sure. Yeah, sure, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I thought Perry's tits did a lot of heavy lifting and falling (laughs) in this episode. So there's that. Oh, just over 10 years before we got (laughs) cancelled. Oh, I've said worse things about. Yeah, that's Catherine true. Actually, Tate. it dawned on me as well. Oh, God. Oh, God. Come on. Come on. What, we were so like vulgar. Like, who do you think we are? <laughs> Nicholas Courtney, his last I was just about appearance. Eagles makes a return. Yates makes a return. Yeah. Goodness me, Yates has aged. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bagels looks great in a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. Even when it's clearly not Pertwee running over to him. <laughs> I guess he could How? have been mid-transformation into Colin Baker at that point, so that's why the hair wasn't as gloriously bouffant. Ooh, aye. So, what happens to the Rani? She's stuck in the time tunnel with her assistant, who isn't played by Sir Ian McKellen, which was their original pitch. Ian McKellen? No, they, well, they got Samuel West. That's not too bad. Yeah. What a horrendous waste of Ian McKellen it would have been otherwise. Oh, well, it is also a tremendous waste of Kate O'Mara, let's be honest. 
It's a waste of most people who participate in this. This, this is part of what I really dislike about this special. Okay. There's nothing special about it. Yeah. Yeah, most companions are lucky to get more than a line and a half. Just because there are so many of them. That's something, isn't it? In the episode's plus column, it did get an awful lot of people back. Yeah, it did. But I guess I just need more than seeing someone on screen in order to be enthused that's fair enough and by the way we are now 18 minutes into our review of uh, dimensions and time an episode that i have (laughs) if it's not clear already nothing to say about (laughs) (laughs) it's a piece of shit i did not find it entertaining in the slightest i watched it a second time today Ugh, yuck what about I, Mike Reed's googly eyes acting? Well, I've seen people thrown out of the Queen Vic, but never dragged in. <laughs> I mean, that's an epitome of sorts. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I agree. It's 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 daft. There was one other thing I wanted to mention, which was I watched a deleted scene for this, mm-hmm. and Kate O'Mara as the Rani was actually told to dial it back because her performance in one take had been too camp. They said, not as camp, please. So Kate is absolutely sensational in this. <laughs> the commitment. There is such... I'm getting such a reading on my schlockometer whenever she is on screen. It is wonderful. It's Say perfect. goodbye, doctors! <laughs> <laughs> Love it! Yeah, it's great. This special tells me a few things. Number one, I am never, ever going to watch EastEnders. Fuck that show. (laughs) I've never watched it. I have no intention of watching it. Having seen this special is having seen too much of it. Okay. Not even in 3D. Never mind. Carry on. (laughs) And number two, and I hate to get back to the sci-fi element of this makes no sense part of it. But given that this was even written or co-written by JNT, I can't remember who the other writer was. David Roden. Who's David Roden? I think it was his first script or something. All right. Okay. Thanks for listening, David. The fact that they cobble together a script that just uses a bunch of... They're not even tropes. They're just trope terminology to to describe something completely different makes me slightly... Makes me worry a bit Mm -hmm. about their commitment to the craft. It's a little bit like... I'm sure I've mentioned this on the show before. It's a little bit like when at the last London Comic Con or whichever Comic Con, one of the Comic Cons, Paul McGann was on stage and he got the question, would you return for a spin-off series about the Eighth Doctor? And he goes, not really. I don't need to play the Eighth Doctor. Who cares about the Eighth Doctor? Who gives a shit? The the problem is I'd have to move to a different city. I don't really want to do that. And it suddenly dawned on me. It's just a (laughs) job for him and I'm sure he's aware of the legacy, but it's mainly something that pays the bills. And if the fucking showrunner is using words like or terms like time loop to describe something that isn't a loop or is <laughs> is putting together aliens that shouldn't be in t- be together or describing the rani's plot using simply stereotypical sci-fi terminology that means absolutely nothing when combined wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff getting all these aliens together like in the pandorica opens who would never be all together it's crazy but at the very you're right that's okay fair touche but (laughs) in that episode at the very least there is a reason for them being there and what they're doing what they're collaborating on makes sense i don't know what a time tunnel in greenwich is going to Two uh, or why? And I understand that this. I get it. I'm judging this through far too serious a lens. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing is, I just want to get on with it and talk about the next part of this bonus. Okay, episode. okay. Well, I don't have any more counter counters. So, did anyone send in their thoughts on this episode? Oh, you bet your tush. Someone did. No, oh, thank goodness, I get to keep my tush. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Yes, indeed, we have one listener mini for this uh, unofficial anniversary special. It comes from Stephen from Canada. Hi, Stephen. (laughs) Hello, Stephen. 
Stephen starts, well, that was a good bit of fun. It was great to see all those excellent actors and actresses returning all for the love of the show and, well, charity, I guess, too. But it's hard to really judge this on the same level as the other stories, as it really can't stand against it. But what I can say about this... Oh, Stephen, is that it earned higher ratings than the show I'd ever had before, having 13.8 and 13.6 million viewers per episode. And if that doesn't show the love and dedication this fandom has, then I don't know what does! And I'm absolutely positive that being a crossover with one of the most popular soap operas of the time has no effect on those numbers. A winky emoji. (laughs) And Stephen concludes with a rating. He says, overall, this thing earns 2.4 taxidermy doctors out of five well that's a point isn't it all five surviving doctors were there they didn't have to wheel out a wax likeness of tom baker this time (laughs) that is such a good point yes that is that is an an incredibly good point (laughs) it is from a fan service point of view i'm not going to rate this from a fan service point of view it it earns super stellar ratings and it is lovely to see so many familiar faces on screen together just being friends yeah i i can't rate it either there's no point it won't mean anything this doesn't mean anything what a shame that it well who knows maybe it did help get the movie made in some small way for that reason you should absolutely follow steven online oh, steven. Yeah. <laughs> steven made some very good points he did indeed steven can be found at s under action so podcast land head on over say hi to steven and tell him from us in fact Right, well, we, we did nearly get two hours on Pertwee there, so I think we've righted a wrong. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> or righted with two wrongs, finally. I don't know. What else well, are we talking about? We're going to be talking about something else, but what what is this, Drew? Oh, this? This is the one with bioplasmic creatures, obviously. The game of I Thought You Were Dead, Doctor. A puff of my huffer. A sonic internet. And no Packle Bell on the jukebox. It's called Scream of the Shalka. Here, here we, we go. go. Yes, indeed, we are still here. And we, we are have now time the... jumped forward ten years, though. We jumped through a time tunnel across the Greenwich <laughs> Meridian. <laughs> We're halfway to Wolford in 2013. <laughs> And we are now about to discuss the animated season opener of the season that could have been, the Doctor Who could have been. It is, this is a ninth Doctor adventure. Yes, 100% wholeheartedly. But a very different ninth Doctor. It's animated, this ninth Doctor is played by Richard E. Grant, Withnell himself. Yeah, following on from I as the Doctor, now we have Withnell. I didn't even make that connection. I love it. Yes, you're so right. We've got a full cast. Now we just need Monty to join. And and he's very different to the Ninth Doctor we eventually did get. Yes. Well, he's fully realized. We can say that because he's not just a placeholder. He's not just an intimation. He is a fully formed character already with a history and multiple qualities, which I'm sure we'll get into. Oh, most definitely. I had a quick scan online to get a sense of more of the the history, the backstory of this Doctor, because it seems as though he has a very different context and a very different backstory to prior Doctors. Mm -hmm. For starters, he's traveling with the Master, he's in exile, he's yada, yada, yada. He's on a mission from the Time Lords. There are a lot of things that are slightly different to the predecessors, or the immediate predecessor, certainly. Couldn't find that much, except that there are if I'm not mistaken, novelizations of the episodes that were meant to come after this. Yes, a couple, I think. That's right, yeah. I found out that even as this was being post-produced or finalized and ready to drop, they were doing, at the BBC, negotiations to start up the TV series. And so even before this appeared, it was being undercut. And there was one thing I wanted to draw attention to. I found this on Wikipedia, but it's from Doctor Who magazine. RTD said of Richard E. Grant's performance, I thought he was terrible. I I thought he took the money and ran, to be honest. It was a lazy performance. He was never on our 
our list to play the doctor. I think that's uncalled for. Yeah, it's harsh, isn't it? I, that's well, well, certainly yes. Given that we never actually get to see him, he is voicing a flash animation. Yeah, that's and, really mean, uh, RTD. And he clearly has an affinity for Doctor Who because he's already appeared in The Curse of the Fatal Death, The Children in Need 1999 special. I've mm. already mentioned tonight as the conceited Doctor who follows yeah. on from Rowan Atkinson. And he comes back during the Moth era as the great intelligence. Yeah, and is a terrific actor. Yeah, so I, I think this may have hurt REG. So what are you doing, RTD? I wonder if RTD was a bit insecure at the time about people saying, why, isn't, why aren't you following this timeline? And he had to assert his new one as the canon and whatever. But it still seems seems overly catty yeah that's that's unnecessarily harsh i assume that they had already either cast eccleston or the bbc had told rtd hey whomever you cast you're you're not getting this one for whatever contractual legal reasons we're gonna have to go with someone else or there was a room of an, an average slice a slice of average uk in a room and they said actually we want someone who wears a leather duster and is maybe slightly darker or something. Yeah, and we haven't had a northerner do it yet, so how about that? Yeah, exactly. I think Richard E. Grant, I think Withnall is terrific as the Doctor here. Yeah, and he does a lot of singing, some of it deliberately off-key, which I always think, because I remember Michael Caine saying how much he hated having to sing in Muppet's Christmas Carol. For an actor who doesn't go around singing every opportunity, and there are some, but Richard E. Grant is not one of them, that takes some cojones and, like I say, some commitment. So, yeah, I, I can't fault him. No, nor I. I think the singing, though, is part... It, it's symptomatic of one aspect of this story, uh-huh. which is possibly the... I'm not going to call it the downfall in my eyes, but certainly one of the weak points. It's just too freaking loud. <laughs> Oh, yeah. There's so much screaming in it to then counteract that screaming with singing that is also equally loud and, as you said, on occasion deliberately off-key. That's that's yeah. maybe too much for me. And then add in the sounds of the whole population of the Earth screaming and the end of the world happening with thunderclaps and yeah. flooding seas. It's a lot. What a soundscape. Oh, it's tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed some of the same thunderclaps were used by Cosgrove Hall as they had used in Count Duckula many years earlier. I meant to, I made a note of Cosgrove Hall films, but I didn't. I, I forgot to look up what else they've done. Did they do Duckula? They did Duckula, Danger Mouse. They did the BFG film with David Jason as the animated BFG. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. <laughs> and honestly, considering this was a flash animation, the trouble they went to to show or articulate visually the speech of the characters like when major thomas kennett is talking very quickly like they are rat-a-tat-tatting his mouth movements like with in perfect synchronicity with the words like they seriously went for this this wasn't a botched job or a bodge no, job I, no no absolutely not let's say this for podcast land's benefit as well it's yeah. absolutely worth watching this it's an hour and a half long in total there are other six episodes i think yeah it's not it, even it's, that it's probably okay, like 85 fine. minutes okay fine so just under an hour and a half it is a flash animation, meaning you're not going to be able to watch it in a browser. However, if you're struggling to find this, I found the whole thing on Daily Motion. Same. And uh, treat yourself, Podcast Land. I'll also say, say this it's a flash animation, meaning it's really, really low res. I blew up that flash animation on the wall. <laughs> yeah, oh no. That's not I what it's still, for. And I still freaking loved it. Hey! It's. It, it holds up. The story is strong enough and the acting is strong enough. The screaming takes a little bit away from it, but it is yeah. still overall compelling enough an episode, a movie of Doctor Who to entertain for an hour yeah. and a half. Or an opening two-parter for series 28 or whatever you'd call it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We haven't said yet that it was written by Paul Cornell. That's right, whom we've met in the New Who channel before. Yeah, with Family of Blood. Human Nature and... Family of Blood. Father's Day. Oh, oh, right, sorry. <laughs> I thought you were reversing it on me. <laughs> Father's Day was good, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Very clever. So he didn't alienate RTD anyway. He didn't. Father's Day has a few dark elements to it. Human Nature and Family of Blood, clearly, the 
Paul Cornell, he has a very dark, sometimes twisted imagination. Yeah. This one, holy flips. Flipping eggs, dude. Mm. The, the fact that it's a cartoon makes you think at face value, oh, this is this is for kids. Yeah. How much can it hurt me? But I, I, people are suffering in it. Some of the things that are described in this, I, I, it's a serial. Some of the things that are described in the serial are horrendously violent. Yeah. There's a malnourished child from some tropical clime who, like, a bloody smudge appears under the bandage on his head because a fucking Schalke's gonna scream out of him. There's an uh, there's an elderly lady who is homeless, who has left her home, is living off the streets, who dies in front of our eyes. Oh, dude, Matilda Pierce's death rattle haunts my dreams. As she is rattling to death, yeah. next to a chap who smothered himself in lava, ultimately dunking his face in it until he died. Because his hands had been melted away. Yeah. Pretty dark stuff. Yeah. The doctor removes a mini Schalke stub from the companion to bee's forehead and then asks her to put it right back in. (laughs) After he swallowed it. Yeah. And bonded his body tissues with it. Which is a little gross. What else can we say that's really dark? <laughs> well, I think that's enough. Like, just the, the constant cutaways as well to, like, Russians and Americans. Like, everybody just in rictus. Like, oh, where where Alison's boss is throttling David Tennant's character. Yes, yeah. David Tennant makes a cameo appearance here. And... I mean, they could have done slightly better if he'd said, sorry, I'm so sorry. (laughs) But that aside, the fact that he's going, essentially, I don't want to do this, please run away, while he strangles him is so... Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. And they're screaming for help as they go on a murderous rampage because they're completely powerless to resist. Plus, okay, one last thing that will touch upon one of the myriad threads we've now started the companion, perhaps more importantly, the companion, not exit, but exit from this episode, she's in a, a dysfunctional, a failed relationship. Yeah, with a, a Lancastrian Mickey Ricky. Yes, exactly. Perfect analogy. Who's finding it incredibly difficult to let her go. And she has to extricate herself from this romantic entanglement. That in itself is a really mature note to lend a companion character in a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, this is a cartoon in formats only. It's entirely happenstance that it's a cartoon because that's what fit the budget. Yeah. So we've started a whole bunch of threads. Shall we pick one and go with it or perhaps... Yeah, tug on a thread, why don't you? Question question tangent. Now you keep talking up these threads. Okay, well, why don't we talk about the companion? Yeah, played by the bloody queen, mate. Yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie Okonedo. Who is Alison Cheney. Yep. Works in a pub. Yep, gave up her history degree to move back in with her feckless doctor boyfriend, Joe. Yes, exactly. Just imagine her and Doc then traveling back in time and visiting past scenarios that she's studied at uni. Yeah, and that she's already shown an interest in. Can I meet Gaudi? Can we see the pyramids? Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's it's so clear that this wasn't set up to be a one-off. You feel cheated at the end, seeing them go away and not being able to follow them. Absolutely. There's such potential set up for this dynamic and for that character in particular. How does she handle herself? In this serial. Well, she's established as the only one in the town. You know, she's got that special something. She's not just in the right place at the right time. So that's that's better than... you say than the a, only what? one in the town? This is going to... Mm-hmm. This is triggering me. <laughs> okay, okay. Because I have a problem with this town. Lanet. Is that what it's called? Yep. Do you really think that humankind would just give up, or human society would just give up in three weeks' time? This town has been under siege for three weeks. Mm-hmm. It's not like f- phones have stopped working. It's not like, well, like, does no one ever travel through this town? Does how did this happen i assume why that is anyone no, why talk- is she the only one who's taking a stand i assume that anyone talking on a mobile phone is then targeted by a shalker and turned into lava or something although there aren't 
crusty lava Pompeians all over town. So true. Maybe not. You, no, you're right. It is a bit easy that everyone except her just entirely gives up, and she's the only one to show any initiative. Yeah, because I think if you compare her to Rose, or if you compare the town rather to London in the Rose era. People in the Rose era were perhaps slightly more, not hands-on, but they were certainly more inclined to get involved. Oh, Jackie especially. Sorry? Jackie especially. Well, Jackie certainly, yeah. Rose's family, certainly. But people around them, I think, if if something happened, they would interact with it. Sometimes it would just be a matter of scream and run away or call for help or something. But here, no one does even that. Everyone has just resigned themselves to the fact that henceforth, we're going to be quiet, sit at home and not have a life. We run a pub, but we don't. We're not ever gonna serve any more beer. <laughs> Life is over. Yeah, we're we'll uniformly over by something we're never gonna question. Yeah, we're uniformly paralyzed by fear, and that's the end of it. Yeah, exactly. And that acceptance is something that I would hold against this town. Hmm. Yeah. Especially as the doctor, he sets off a giant explosion, and instantly the town erupts into cheers again, mm-hmm. entirely uniformly. Yeah. It's a bit weird. Because the thrust of the episode seems to be individualism versus collectivism on one level, and here the town is behaving entirely collectively. I don't know, maybe they're changing. You're viewing the Schalke as a collective. Yeah. Because are, are they actually said to be a collective? We have those. I can't remember what they're called now. They are called the colony creatures, which are like multiple Schalke that have bonded together. Yeah. The, the Schalke make a big play through Prime of being essentially of one mind. And never being at war like the lower creatures. The lower creatures who see themselves as individuals and who are swayed by the fate of no, another you're right. individual. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I take that back. No, you're absolutely right. I get a sense that they're, they're sort of the larva equivalent of the nesting consciousness, aren't they? Because they have a hive mind, but then one portion of it can transplant itself and relay orders, sort of like a queen bee or whatever else, like the nesting. Yeah, well, that is just quintessential Doctor Who, isn't it? That you have one figurehead alien while the others are all speechless drones. That's yeah. how Doctor Who does it. It's authentic. And, and most sci-fi to be fair (laughs) yeah every marvel baddie has an army of faceless drones or an army of soldiers all of whom are wearing the exact same helmets you can't tell them apart yeah so wait is that all we have to say about allison no she shows bravery throughout i found the doctor's interaction with her one of the most interesting points which is that he very quickly genuinely cares about her there's no distance there's no run-up there's no detachment there's no inability like in spectrumy capaldi era instantly he's like she needs to have a proper talk with her boyfriend and he means it he's not talking down about that scenario like these humans and their complicated entanglements he's he has a real genuine empathetic understanding and i found that quite refreshing (laughs) yeah i think so too do you think that this doctor has an ability to read people better does he is he able to intuit someone's character more so than prior doctors he's certainly high scoring in that facet definitely because it may be that he enters that pub. He hasn't met anyone else on the streets. The streets are all abandoned. He goes into the pub, and in the pub, he sees three people, one of whom, within seconds, he gauges, is the only one in the room who isn't afraid of him. And that is what he clings on to for the rest of the serial. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying, maybe maybe she was lucky that she was in the pub with one alcoholic and one disillusioned landlord. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, but... It's nice to have a companion with something about her. We've had a few companions where it's like, really, why? Yeah, I agree. No, you want a companion who's fun to watch, witty, clever, yada, 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 resourceful, brave to a degree, obviously not afraid to know their own limitations and and maybe lean on the doctor on occasion, yada, 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 but also have something to add to the story and to the potential arc ahead of them. Alison certainly does all that. I have a question for you. Okay. Why not Grace? As in... Grace Holloway, the Eighth Doctor's would-be companion. Well, there are lots of hints, aren't there, in this episode about, oh, it wouldn't have been Grace who died. The hints are that the Doctor has allowed 
a young lady companion, the previous one to Allison, to meet their end. And oh, he yeah. hasn't had one for a very long time as a result. But that wouldn't be Grace because she didn't go with him. So this, I guess, just takes place a while afterwards. Yeah, a big while. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, I have nothing else to say about that. <laughs> it just dawned on me like, oh, yeah, no, we, we didn't bridge that. Because at the end of the uh, the Doctor Who movie, we were all saying, why is she not boarding that TARDIS? She's clearly set up to be the new companion. Why aren't we seeing them set off on their, their adventure? Yeah, and, and during that colon, the movie, she similarly is extricated from her previous relationship and could very well. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. I guess she could have, but honestly, it just comes down to individual preference. Yeah. I think... What is it? San Francisco? I think so, yeah. Slightly more going on there than Lanet. <laughs> a, a huge swathe of which has just been detonated. Oh, yeah, including their house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's his name? John? Is that his name? Her Joe. Boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, he's... He's got a lot of tidying up to do. Joe is one of the weakest parts of the episode, both writing-wise and acting-wise. He's nothing but sullen. Who plays him? He is played by, and I have made notes. Oh, yeah? Craig Kelly. Craig Kelly. And I can tell you that his character is an excellent likeness for Craig Kelly, circa 2003. His other screen credits include Titanic, Coronation Street... Oh, but I believe he was cast here because he played Nervous Guy in Spice World. Another masterpiece I've not seen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Y- you haven't missed anything. <laughs> no, I-, I listened to the How Did This Get Made episode and that was enough for me. Mm-hmm. Craig Kelly. Yeah, there he is. Yeah. But this brings me on to the cast, right? Okay, here we go. I wonder if there's any one member of it you're going to want to focus on. Well, I'm going to gloss over for the moment the fact that Richard E. Grant and Derek Jacobi, Sir Derek Jacobi, my apologies, Sir Derek, are playing the leads. Because that speaks for itself. Prime is played by Diana Quick, and she has been in The Death of Stalin, Lewis, Inspector Morse, the original Brideshead Revisited, and... She played Mrs. Wellman in an episode of Poirot. Oh, right. Sad Cypress. Sad Cypress. I I recognize the title. I can't remember which one that is. She is not the only actress to appear in an episode of Poirot. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. Matilda Pierce, who haunts my dreams. She is played by Anna Calder Marshall, who Uh appeared in After the Funeral, playing Maud Abernethy. Oh, I watched After the Funeral only a a week ago. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. And both of those actresses are... Wait, 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 wait. Which one... Sorry, I'm going to have to look this up. Which one is she in that? Because if she's the one I'm thinking, then she's incredible. Oh, not the one I was thinking of. Oh, never She was good, but she she was... Perfectly, perfectly good. Yeah. So both those actresses, and of course, add on Sir Derek Jacobi, and we have a lot of top tier television and theatre actors, sometimes with credits going back to the, back to the 60s. We have established career thespians who have mm. lent their vocal talents to this production. Mm. So it is a quirk of history that this is as oh, marginal wow. as it is yeah i would argue very few people have in fact watched it yeah and i assume that they haven't the bbc the bbc did release it on dvd but i didn't know that like because it's i didn't either yeah because it's an alternate sort of doctor who timeline like i don't think they push it at all and part of that would have been to let new who stand on its own two feet uncontested but yeah, this does not deserve to be sidelined in that way. No, I wholeheartedly agree with you. In fact, I would love to see an alternate universe spin-off of, sort it, Flash animations <laughs> of this Doctor. Yeah. If ever they do a The Flash or Spider-Verse or one of those nonsense multiverse situations uh-huh. for Doctor Who. Oh yeah. Absolutely have this Doctor show up. Yeah. Have Richard E. Grant playing an alternative Doctor and Matt Smith playing an alternative The Great Intelligence. Why not? He's already been Mr. Clever. Could be quite interesting. Yeah. I'd watch it. I'd obviously watch it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. Uh, 
where to next? Shall we talk? Shall we talk, Doctor? Or do you want to talk? I was uh, going to suggest that Doctor, 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 Doctor. Right. I made a few notes of how this Doctor's different to the Doctors who came before him. Okay, interesting. What do you got? Right. So the Time Lords put this Doctor in places where he needs to help. Yes. He's, it, it's kind of not really, but sort of like some of the situations we got in Classic Who with Tom Baker, with Pertwee and Baker. Where the Time Lords intervene, they just sort of pluck him out and put him somewhere else. Yeah. Actually, we saw that with a few Doctors. But here it is because they want him to help, as opposed to clean up their mess. Or <laughs> the timeline. Here it's yeah. it's almost as though the Time Lords are good, and he's, he's uh, made himself guilty of some sort of blunder, and now he has to serve his sentence in exile by helping out, by fixing problems. So that's slightly different. Yeah. He doesn't kill, yet he does also say, on occasion I commit genocide. <laughs> Yeah, it's refreshingly honest rather than seeing seeming to be of extreme double standards. Yeah. Although he, is owning your double standards enough to excuse them? Hmm. Well, he has the option of picking up a gun and he says, "Don't offer me a gun. I don't kill. I would never or or no, sorry, he don't offer me that gun. I'm never going to take it." And at some point he pops a couple of the shalka by singing at them or screaming at them or whatever it is. Yeah, and in the and final then he clarifies, "I don't kill anyone. I didn't kill those shalka. I just disassembled them. They will reassemble themselves." Yeah, well, that's at the beginning and then in part 6, he does that times planetary scale and yeah. Apparently, he didn't just turn them into goo that will T-1000 reassemble. They are done for. Yeah, he says, quotes, I don't like the military, but I have so many friends in it. I, I say I do not kill, but then I exterminate thousands. Yeah, to save right. billions, which kind of makes sense. I suppose so. Then again, he did go to trial for this, famously. Yeah. So, a, a bit of a change. Is there such a thing as a just war? Discuss. <laughs> This doctor can sense where the TARDIS is, seemingly telepathically. Oh, yeah. emotionally. Mm. Well, he does have a psychic connection with it, doesn't he? Yeah, but do we have that normally? We don't know. We don't get that, right? We don't have a, oh, I, I think the TARDIS is, is that away. The yeah. 13th Doctor goes on the great adventure. I can't remember what it's called now. Oh, the impossible race. Bingo bongo. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The impossible <laughs> race equivalents. And doesn't know exactly where the TARDIS is, just does this in order to find it, the yeah. ghost monument. No, that TARDIS-shaped pedestal on top of the hill. Oh, there's no way it will appear there. Oh, I'm done for. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. I agree that having that psychic link is perhaps too convenient a power, too great a shortcut for future episodes. That would need to be handled with extreme care. Yeah. It, the TARDIS, which is telepathically linked him is also technological in nature clearly so given that he has a mobile phone shaped like the tardis that he can use to sort of hack the tardis itself yeah central locking by the way is this the first appearance of the central locking or has that already happened yes you're right yeah that's a tenant thing otherwise right yeah yeah you're right very right he drinks wine yes oh yes <laughs> we've, we've got dry or sweet and i don't do sweet <laughs> love it love it as well interestingly he wants tea but he wants sweet tea and he wants it to be put very far away from him <laughs> i didn't know if that was a criticism of the military's predilection for hot sweet tea or sweet strong oh tea i didn't know that was a thing i think so right interesting it's what keeps the british army going okay i didn't realize he is looking for bogner regis oh that's weird yeah you you mentioned that the tardis is technological the master is technological. I was leaving the master for last, but yeah, you are absolutely, <laughs> absolutely right. Let's just jump to the, the master. He travels with the He has a companion already. That companion is the master, and the master is a cyborg. Yeah, but he's still 100% the master, apart from when his face flaps open. Yeah, down to the point where, and I love this, such a beautiful bit of classic Doctor Who, yeah. the master here also immediately bartering, making a pact with the invading alien force. Yes, yes. And that it was so, so many twists and turns in that the doctor programmed him to do it and he was doing it, but he was hoodwinking the doctor but he but actually they were both hoodwinking the shalker i i really liked how that played out all the way through 
Yeah, and agreed. It, and it feels like I did understand it, but also that I didn't quite get it because that's how clever it was. Oh, mm. Yeah. We get a, a hint of their backstory. The master has... He's also wronged the doctor somehow and is now... Or did he save his... He's tried to save his life and now he has to be his companion. There's, there's something yeah, to I, that I think effect. the master rendered the doctor a service. And so when the master would have died had the doctor not intervened, the cyborg option was chosen. Oh, I see. You're right. Yeah. Interesting. Which is an intriguing new dynamic because... Even if they start off with the master's affection and care for the doctor seemingly genuine, when will he start to override his programming or try to gain some new body and new regenerations? Because, of course, the master will, and it will be Derek Jacobi. It's marvellous. Oh, it's absolutely stunning. Missy springs to mind. You know when Missy was locked in the secret vaults Prison cell, yada yada yada. Throughout Bill's entire series, yeah, yeah. In the process of being rehabilitated, uh, has been has been spared by the doctor. She also was going to be executed, but was spared by the doctor, and clearly, oh, so evidently, is going to stab him in the back sooner or later because it's just in her nature. Yeah, yeah. A terrific story is set up here as well with Sir Derek. Yeah, there is a lot a prefigured shame. here. What my favorite line, and it was, I had to restrain myself from just typing down verbatim everything Derek Jacoby said because after a while I was like, oh okay, no, can I leave that one out? I probably should. Like, just watch the episode or podcast land. But when he said to Allison, who's asking who he is, I am the master, and you will, and the Doctor arrives. <laughs> Just pre-hypnosis. Come to like me very much when you get to know me. <laughs> I know, I'm in a note of that as well. It's a beautiful scene. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. The writing in this, some episode six resolution sag aside, such a great script. Oh, I completely agree. I think it is, an interesting quirk of it is, I agree with your point about episode six, Episode one also is very rushed in an almost infantile manner. Oh, yeah? Episode one is, it has the beginning of a cartoon before it veers off into a grown-up script for for television, for just regular dark Doctor Who TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, that whole beginning with Shaggy and Logan 5. Walking oh. through. Like, what are they doing? Like, who are they? I thought it was Matt Damon and Tim Bisley, but sure. Who's Tim Bisley? Uh, Simon Pegg in Spaced. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, no, Shaggy's probably better. Yeah, who are these two? They're just some dudes on a mission. Some dudes. One dude in a suit who looks like a surfer bro works for the FBI, and another guy who straight up looks like Shaggy. Yeah. A meteor crashes into the Earth. They see a worm crawl out of it. It crawls into the ground. The ground turns into lava around that worm, and... FBI surfer bro goes, oh, cool, I'll touch it. It is, that is a childish rush towards a crescendo in Act One. Yeah, and there is also no follow-up from the FBI who are down two of their agents. Yeah, wait, do they work for the FBI? Is that what this is? Well, no, I don't know, actually. I, But maybe, I'd be surprised if the American mil- military-industrial complex was not behind them in some way. Yeah. Speaking of yeah. the military-industrial complex. Yeah. Unit. That was going to be my question. Are they unit? Oh, the bro and shaggy? Oh, no, no. The soldiers we see later on. Yes, they are definitely unit. The unit logo is used on some of the graphics when, oh, they, yeah, when they have the world up on the screen. And the doctor says, can you project the world on the screen? And it's already there. But that aside, <laughs> we have a successor to the brig. Yes, we do. That, that How do you is, feel? Of- well, I, I'm I'm just impressed that this is something that the Eighth Doctor movie didn't have. Like, not only have we been introduced to a new Doctor with a history and got a companion potentially, although at the end of the Eighth one it wasn't taken up. We have a new pair of unit chums. We have a new Brig and his sarcastic subordinate. Both is of he actually who, a brigadier. He's Major Thomas Kennett. Major, yeah. Okay, yeah, fair enough. But yes, you're right. With more of a 
a gritty, uh, just a dark, gritty side to him than the Brig ever had. I think like this is a this is a military man who does not necessarily trust the Doc and whom Doc ought not trust in the first place. Well, you it's say only at the that. end of the serial, they're like, okay, fine, we'll have some witty bands and some, and then we'll be chums. Yes, and uh, would you mind me coming along as a military yes, grade exactly. companion? Sorry, not enough space. <laughs> <laughs> And Greaves. Oh, all Greaves is... Greaves is great. <laughs> yeah. Permission to holler, sir. Permission denied. It's <laughs> brilliant. Oh, permission to howl. That was it. Permission to howl. <laughs> You've got a tan, Greaves. It suits you. You should get out more. Ah, oh, it's all great. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Where to next? Where to indeed? Do you want to talk TARDIS? Go for it. The TARDIS is stunning. Oh, yes. Utterly stunning. That console room with the spiral staircase going around it. Well, that is very nice. It has all the scope of the Eighth Doctor's TARDIS, with the mystery lent to it by virtue of this being a flash animation and resources consequently being limited. Oh, yes. <laughs> they just haven't drawn it, and therefore we have to imagine that it goes on forever. There's just a spiral staircase and uh, an empty void beyond it. Yeah. That's how far it is to the nearest wall. An infinity of artfully deployed shadows. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Yes, and very nicely shot. We get to see it from interesting angles. One is from high above when the Schalke are advancing towards the master, I remember. Yeah. And yeah, some Dutch angles, some looking up from below. It's, it's nice. It was directed. This, within the abundant constraints, mm. was imaginatively staged. I agree. And similar to the swimming pool that we heard of, in uh, in New Who every now and then. Here, the Zeppelin hangar. Yes. Yeah, I look forward to seeing that because, well, those move very slowly. So they could be animated very easily. Not much motion required there. And it really gives you an idea of the scope of this place. Yeah. No, ter- terrific. Every day presents a new challenge to one's dignity. Oh, Derek. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. When all the Schalke seeing Doctor arrive in the mouth of the colony creature, he says, oh my goodness, is there someone more famous further back in the monster? (laughs) (laughs) What a line. So many good lines. Only a few fall flat. And it feels churlish to mention them. Yeah, agreed. Okay, I've, I'm scouring my notes. I've found a, a few instances where I've just copy-pasted something straight from the script because uh, it, it, it tickled me. Okay. We now understand the principles of your craft. Do you? Could you explain it to me? <laughs> yeah. And that gets a callback right near the end. I've made a note of the same thing, saying, Such good writing. We've been on the same <laughs> podcast too long. <laughs> I'm the doctor, and that's the master, who I see isn't holding on to anything. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was that reminds me of one of the things. The black hole. That's one of the part six things that don't make sense. It's actually quite a lot like the climax to the eighth Doctor one, where they're holding on, right? In yeah, you're right. And they're in danger of being dragged into the Eye of Harmony or something. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, here and- it's a black hole, seemingly at the end of a very long tunnel, because you can fall towards that black hole for a long while and have time to make a phone call. A black hole is the centre of a galaxy. It can be far away, although what is he breathing as he falls? Who knows? My bigger problem than that was Alison loses her grip and then just lands at the sonic service provider and is oh, able right. to smash the big nodule. Like, she should be in the black hole. That's that's what we were led to believe. So that was yeah. a bit of a cheat. Yeah, here we go. The science does not add up podcast land. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another point where the doctor, he pulls the, the Schalke staff out of her forehead and then just falls to the ground. And they're like, oh, no, is he dead? And he goes, no, I was just making you nervous. Again, it seems like a cheat. Like, why does that happen? I see that cheat. I raise you another great line. Okay. I think, therefore, I win. Ah, yes. Yeah. I have yeah. a tradition of getting in the way. <laughs> 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 yeah, there are so many good lines. Yeah, you heard the man, Greaves. Don't bully the monster. <laughs> what are you? No, it's how are you, and <laughs> and how are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's very good. It's very, very good. Hmm. 
It really is. There were a few lines here delivered by the Doctor that felt taken directly from Withnell, by the way. Yes? His voicemail message, as in if someone calls the Doctor and they get to his voicemail, that's, right. that was straight up Withnell. Let's see, hang on. Oh, yes. I can't find it now. But when he asks someone to go and sacrifice themselves, it, it made me think of the scene in Withnell and I where he looks at the Eighth Doctor and goes, offer yourself to him. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see that. Um, oh, I can't find it. There's Okay, there's one line and line delivery that I am not on board for oh. by this Ninth Doctor. Okay. And it's... Take me home, big boy. Yeehaw! Yes. That's wildly out of character. So it would appear. He certainly has a sort of camp side to him. I would I would also put in that category Welcome to the Cabaret. That was a little a little underwhelming. Yes, I remember that. After all the si- Yeah, yeah, no, I remember. Yeah. Hit me again, George. What's that a reference to? I think that is when the Schalke are surrounding oh. him for the final time underground. And Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah no, I've just found it in the transcripts. Uh, he, he starts bleeding from his nose after being screamed at by a Schalke, yeah. wipes it away and goes, oh, hit me again, George. I took that to be a drinking reference. Oh, right. As opposed to play it again, Sam. Because neat uh, scotch is like, dripping from his nostril. <laughs> yeah, just a, oh, that was a really strong shot. Give me another one. That's what <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. It's very possible, in fact, very likely that it's a cultural reference that is just ooh, whooshing right over my head. Yeah. But for every slightly anemic line, there's a, you're not human, decent of you to say. What are you, mildly annoyed? <laughs> Yeah, what are you talking about, RTD? This dude gets it. Yeah, yeah, and he got it, and he nailed it in one go. Yeah. (sighs) Is there anything we absolutely positively need to touch upon here? I just want to call out the master being revealed as an android as an amazing twist. Mm Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. The cliffhangers, they uh, they were okay, but maybe not as good as in Redacted, honestly. Really? Yeah, like the cliffhanger uh, to part one is two Schalke appear. Oh, look, it's the aliens. Um, and then in the second one, Allison falls into the lava. And in the third one, the dock falls into the black hole. And it, Yeah, that's a pretty solid one. Then the Schalke pops out of Allison's head. Yeah. Then there's no more ozone layer. Whoopsies, the Earth's going to go down. Yeah, and, and Prime takes an even more terrifying form. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that... It's not even that they're formulaic, but they didn't wow me. No, that's true. I'm with you on that. Yeah. How did you feel? We haven't talked about the Schalke. How do you feel about the Schalke as a baddie? Well, like you say, the the screaming is tiresome. But what I thought it was such a clever idea that, oh, you think 80% of the planets in the cosmos are dead? That was the Schalke. The Schalke did that. That whole scene where... Richard E. Grant is saying, oh, so you're the limiting factor of the universe. You are death incarnate. And it's beautifully written on both sides. They were going toe to toe and I loved it. And I could have written the whole thing down. If this is a, if you view this as the pilot for a massive series, a massive arc or episode one of a new series, yeah, you're setting up a baddie who is, th- there is no bigger baddie. This is the big bad. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, the Daleks pale in comparison. Is that going too far? Possibly, because there is <laughs> the option for, I assume there are billions of other Schalke War Confederacy leaders who haven't fallen into a black hole and yeah. could take exception to what Certainly. the Doctor has done. Yeah, maybe it is over-egging it slightly, but I just thought it was very clever that somewhere I'd never think to look, i.e. all around us, like the silence, it's that sort of scale of a layer of reality is suddenly revealed. I completely agree. I completely agree. I'm on board. Whoop and or whoop. Can, can I offer one thing to possibly see us out of this episode? And if it doesn't work, either say no or I'll cut it or whatever. Let's hear it. I've got a bunch of introductory questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's about damn time. <laughs> okay. Oh, actually, one of them I've already asked. Are there no surnames between Matthews and Nelson? <laughs> 
I think that one surname is standing for the entire letter of the alphabet there. Like, but <laughs> okay, <laughs> fine, fine. All right. Why does Doc's screaming disintegrate the Schalke? Because he has bonded with that Schalke stub and he's learnt from it and it gave him a toehold in, into the, the Schalke system, their way of doing things. When he is losing epically that sonic mm-hmm. combat with Prime and being yeah. just cast back across the floor, he says, sooner or later I'm going to get the hang of all of this and... That's oh, and what then he's by done. the end of it, he has gotten the hang of it. Oh, I see. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. That absolutely works. Okay, one last question. Wouldn't Joe take something in Allison's head a little bit more seriously? A, he's a doctor. <laughs> B, he's supposed to want her to remain his girlfriend. And he's like this pulsing bulge. Ah, we'll deal with it in a minute. <laughs> he's a terrible doctor. Yeah. I mean, compare this to Amy and Rory, where Amy is the primary companion and Rory, her partner, whom she treats like garbage, is also a medical professional. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it, it, Joe is... Joe could do... He could do better in life, not in romance. <laughs> <laughs> he is punching way over his weight. Yeah. Okay, I've got one more. Yeah, go on then. Why do the ship rules include no slapping? Because she's already slapped him a couple of times. Oh, she has slapped him. In that very part six. So basically, I'm three for three, and this episode is, I don't know, low Doing four. really well. Yeah, I'd give it low yeah. fours out of five. I'm not going to specify, but go and find it out, Podcast Land, the weird Turkish version on Daily Motion. <laughs> we watched the exact same version, I can <laughs> tell. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would be thereabouts ratings wise as well i think very very watchable and kind of a missed opportunity in the history of doctor who yeah and way more worthy of your time than dimensions in time silly and fun as that was oh my god yeah absolutely right well that concludes our soiree our semi-covidy soiree dedicated (laughs) to the unofficial doctor who anniversaries yeah i hope that's going to tide you over until i'm better at podcast land and we can review the power of the doctor in person because that's what's up next oh oh my god are you excited i'm very excited i am excited assuming i survive this virus (laughs) i'm more excited to recuperate at this point but yes well i'm i'm counting on you to recuperate okay but yes, you're very right. So next up, New Who, The Power of the Doctor. After that, a bonus, methinks, of of what, Drew? The 13th Doctor Retrospective. Correct, Amundo. And after that, probably another bonus episode, namely The Who Back When Retrospective. And after that, goodness knows yep. stuff, things. Yeah. There, are, there are plans. There are some plans and things will happen. They will most likely be bonuses. Yeah, although Beep the Meep is bearing down on us. Beep the Meep? Yeah, you'll. we may or may not get to that. <laughs> Looking forward to it. In the meantime, <laughs> can people say hi to you, Drew? They can. They can email me, as you can email the podcast collectively, Jim Marie, who knows, maybe even Rory and Nick, at whobackwhen at gmail.com. And That's at right. whobackwhen on Twitter, let's face it. Uh, you can say hi to me as well. I can be found at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N, on the aforementioned social media platform. And uh, it has been a delight chatting into your earballs, podcast land. Drew. Yes. Feel better, man. Hope you get well soon. Thanks very much. I'm going to crash so hard after this. Once, <laughs> once your grease paint comes off, I'm going to hit the pillow like a ton of bricks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Podcast Land, you've been a delight. Until the next time, rock on, be rad and excellent to each other, and cha-chao. Bye-bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to, and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen, all in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen, all in one word. 
Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?